All right, welcome into another edition of the Duck Territory Podcast. Matt Preem and Eric Scopel is across the way. Hey, guys. Talking Oregon Spring game, uh, a game in which I can't even remember the final score because I'm looking at the box score and it says 41-7, to 7, and I know a, that's not correct. It was 59-34 to 34 offense over defense, as I recall. Um, the scoring system was pretty whack, in my opinion. I don't. I mean, I didn't really understand it. It seemed like... I would just give the offense the generic scoring, so they scored, what, 41 points? Yes. And the defense should probably get some weird stuff. I don't know why the offense is getting points for yards. Yeah. That, they get, like, a 10-yard game. It's worth as many points as a turnover. It makes no <laughs> sense to me. I didn't get that at all. Uh, we got the – we're going to be talking about the spring game weekend because this is a two-phase weekend. It's – on one part of it, it was a chance to showcase what Oregon's been doing the 14 previous practices in spring and kind of give you a tease and a taste of what Oregon football could be like in 2018. Uh, but on the other hand, it was kind of what I like to call the unofficial kickoff to just the full swoop of yeah. high school recruiting because over 40 prospects were here for unofficial and official visits. Uh, most of them brought parents. Multiple parents were here. Uh, all in all, there was over 100 people on campus for – recruiting perspectives for Oregon for the 2019, 2020, and even, as crazy as it sounds, the 2021 class uh, for Oregon football. And so it was something that Cristobal told us going into the weekend, that it was a huge weekend. He, he said it again after the game, that it was a monumental one. Um, we'll shave, we'll shelve the recruiting talk to the second half of this podcast, because let's get to some stuff from the spring game. We did a podcast uh, we did a Facebook Live right afterwards, uh, but we've had some time to adjust, Eric. And I, I think let's start with the confidence levels of a p- couple position groups going in because I think okay. you wrote about this. There were some questions at quarterback. There were some questions at linebacker, wide receiver, and running back. Um, let's start with quarterback. And what we all know about Justin Herbert, there were, there were questions still with this group. Yeah, and the questions were – do they have a suitable backup quarterback, or would it be a repeat of last season where if Herbert goes down, you're sticking someone out there that I think Raxton would tell you this just really wasn't ready to play? And I think, honestly, pretty positive games for both Braxton Burmeister and Tyler Shuck. Um, I know I wrote this in the story, but if you combine the two of their stats, they're actually better than what Justin Herbert did on Saturday. Herbert had the lone interception. It wasn't really his fault. It was a ball off Brendan Scorer's hands that was picked and and ran the other way 100 yards for, not for six, but for 10 points. 10 points. So the defense touchdown. 10-point <laughs> play. Had to write that in a couple of stories. Um, but Tyler Shuck, first pass of the spring touchdown. game. Was a touchdown to David Davis, who also caught another touchdown later. We'll get to him in a minute. And then Braxton Burmeister had a nice uh, touchdown pass to Jake Vecchi, or Jack Vecchi, who I didn't know was on the roster. but Until uh, the spring game. Until the spring game, but he announced himself very well. I was like, who the heck is number 90? But it was a nice catch down the seam. Um, I thought both those guys played pretty well. They were a combined um, 12 for 20 passing with three touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, you know, That's the biggest thing for me. No turnovers. The, there was no turnovers. I know Cristobal talked a lot about uh, keeping care of the football and being secure with it uh, throughout the spring. And Justin Herbert threw the one pick six, uh, pick ten, we could call it. No, pick ten, yeah. Uh, Only time we'll ever call it that. But I don't think anyone's really concerned about Justin Herbert's accuracy or his decision-making or yeah, what have you. that wasn't his fault. That wasn't his fault. Right. right. Uh, it was more of what kind of steps and growth is Braxton Burmeister going to make because he had some turnovers last season, uh, some costly ones. Uh, he was inaccurate last season. And how ready will Tyler Shuck look? Uh, in the spring game. And look, I don't think they, they stepped foot on campus and were guys that 
oh my gosh, these, you know, they're starter quality guys. They're going right. you know, they could unseat Justin Herbert, you know, yeah. or if Herbert wasn't here, you'd be completely content with them at quarterback. But I think they still answered some questions that we had going in because quite honestly, I thought it was Justin Herbert and oh my gosh, this team might not win four games if he gets hurt. Yeah, and what I think part of the reason it felt that way was the scrimmage we saw up in Portland certainly wasn't wasn't a, good. a great showing for either guy. But like I said, I thought both of them played pretty well. Um, I thought Tyler in particular was was pretty sharp. He had a couple of really nice passes. Um, the one to Davis was a nice kind of back shoulder thing. Davis made a nice adjustment and scored. Um, to Hibibi Lakio, they just kind of got the defense off off balance with the play action. He was pretty much wide open, and he, and Hibibi Lakio did the rest of them. Celebrated with a Fortnite dance. Yeah. I didn't know what the heck that was until someone had to explain to me. I feel old now. Get off um, my lawn. I know. Exactly. I'm feeling old. Um, but yeah, I thought I thought he looked really sharp. Um, like we said in the previous scrimmage, he kind of short armed a couple balls, had a couple balls sail on him. I thought he was pretty consistent, five for eight. Um, Burmeister probably about what we saw last year, but I think a little bit more confident. That seemed like with his reads, he he kind of he, he, you know he threw the ball around a little bit. Um, that touchdown pass was, I think, one of the better throws we've probably seen out of him since he since he arrived in Eugene. But yeah, I'd say all in all, you feel like Herbert probably didn't have his best day, but who really cares? We know what they've got with him. The other two guys, I thought, played probably a little better than maybe we've even expected going in. I think defensively, we'll we'll shift over there for a second. Probably the biggest concern defensively is going into spring. I think you wrote about it on the site mm-hmm. was linebacker because. It was kind of a case of, okay, you, you've got three guys that are pretty good. Troy Dye, Lamar Winston, and Justin Hollins. Three out of four starters, pretty pretty intact, mm-hmm. pretty solid players. Mm-hmm. I think all three of them will be in the NFL at some point. Yeah, I um, But who's that fourth linebacker, and who are the four guys that are their backups? And there was a lot of questions going into that group. And I think this was the one that I left after spring thinking – I've cut down a complete oh, yeah. 180. Totally. No, I, I actually feel like linebacker might be like the strongest group defensively now because we saw not only was it just like who's going to fill and now it's like they've got three legitimate guys it feels like at least based upon how they performed on Saturday and throughout the spring. And, and this is stuff that we're talking not just from Saturday spring game. Yeah. This is from the 15 practices right. that we saw. I mean, Keith Sims looked really, really good all spring. In my opinion, he looks like if I had to write in pencil, I will say, because I'm not going to write in pen yet because nothing's, nothing's determined. I would write him in as the starter right now because I, I think he has been the most consistent. He's probably got the highest upside athletically, although with Isaac Slade, um, they're probably fairly comparable. Um, but a lot of credit deserved towards Kalana Apolu, who had nine yes. tackles, had that pick six we talked about. He performed well. He's a guy you kind of forget about. He's undersized. You know, he he gets probably overlooked a little he bit. He started last year. He started five games hurt. last year before getting hurt, right. So... You know, if he's able to come back around fully, he look he looks capable of playing. If 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 he's their sixth linebacker, that's not bad because that means that they've got five guys that are pretty darn good. Because Apolu is a very capable, experienced collegiate linebacker, and you know we mentioned Isaac Slade. He played really well. Uh, Coach Cristobal, you know, highlighted him as a guy that stood out amongst the linebackers. And Fotuliatu had three yes. sacks. I mean, it's like guy after guy after guy produced well. And we're not even including three really highly regarded prep linebackers that um, signed and will be here this summer. Or Sam Samson New, who, who sat out all who, spring with an injury. Who kind of probably felt like it was probably more than likely his job before that. So, I mean, they almost feel like almost an abundance here of linebackers. Whereas before you're kind of going like, oh boy, yeah, do they even have four quality ones? Now it's like maybe they have seven or eight. You know, I mean, I, I, I think, I agree. I think I've done the 180 here with you where it's like we kind of went in going, I don't know if they have the depth. But now it's kind of like maybe they almost have 
enough, enough depth where there's going to be some pretty good players that aren't playing very much. Yeah, I, I think you kind of touched on it. I think Keith Sims kind of drastically changes this group a little mm-hmm. bit because he told me the, the last practice that we were able to speak to players beforehand was that he spent the spring going inside and out. Um, we noticed, you know, he during the game he would play inside linebacker and in the outside linebacker spot, and he is a stone cold hitter. Mm-hmm. And on the defensive side of the football, I mean, Troy Dye is a big hitter. I th- I think going into when these two guys both arrived, Dye and uh, uh, Keith Sims, they they came in the same class with Winston as well. With Winston as well, and all three of them played as true freshmen. I think going in when they had signed before they had actually stepped foot on campus. It was kind of the assumption that Sims was going to be the marquee name, mm-hmm. air quotes, uh, of the trio there. Die showed up in spring ball and was just lights out and terrific, and we know what he's done in his first two seasons at Oregon. Uh, but it, Sims has had to battle injuries. He's now 100% healthy. He's bigger. He's more athletic than he was when he first got here. Yep. He could be that wild card, you could say, for this Oregon defense of, from going from being pretty good to becoming one of the better ones in the Pac-12 and in the country. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think linebacker is probably the one where if we're doing just kind of who made the biggest leap in kind of our eyes, I think they probably were the one that kind of distanced themselves more yeah. than we even probably expected. And I think going in when the Oregon signed their 2018 recruiting class, I think you and I did a podcast and uh, we said that Adrian Jackson was a guy that had probably a really good chance at starting at linebacker because there just wasn't a lot of depth and there wasn't a lot of talent. I don't think you can say that now. I think I think if he's, he's probably still going to play, but I, I don't think say, he's going to start. I think if he comes in and starts, he is a Troy Dye caliber yes. freshman player. Like he is a ready-made guy because he's going to have to beat out Keith Sims. He's going to have to beat Apelou. out Apelou, Isaac Slade, Samson New. I mean, that is four pretty tough guys there. He's going to have to beat out for reps, and and uh, and, and we're not even mentioning it. Andrew Johnson, who I'm really high on, yes. and, and MJ Cunningham from up in Portland. So there, there are certainly linebacker. I would say right now, I feel much better about that. I think that's a, maybe even a strength of the defense. Shifting back over to the offensive side of the ball, a position group we probably knew there was going to be some concerns going in, and I think leaving spring, I think the, the concerns have become even higher. I mm-hmm. guess you could say, and that's at receiver. Yeah. Um, we knew going in it was okay. This is a group that when they were trying to sign four, five, six different guys at the position group for the 2018 recruiting class, and they signed three. One of which JJ Tucker was a, a like a signing day addition. They weren't really even heavily involved until the last weekend with him, but they had some other guys go other places, and they needed bodies. Uh, I think their first group: Dylan Mitchell, Brendan Schooler, and Johnny Johnson. I think that's a solid rotation of, of a starting lineup. Mitchell, I think, has the talent to be an All Pac-12 caliber player. Probably not first team, but he can get on that on that list. Mm-hmm, sure. um, but Johnny Johnson and and, and and Schooler, I still need to see more from them to, to say they can get on that caliber of a level. And outside of that, I just don't know how much talent there really is besides Jalen Red. I was going to say Jalen Red and, and Daywood Davis. I feel like are difference makers, and and, and honestly, Daywood Davis, I feel like was. That was a really encouraging showing because coming out of that scrimmage, we kind of looked at each other and said, okay, between Mitchell, Schooler, um, Red, and Johnson, that's four, I think, pretty – that's a Pac-12 caliber receivers. They'll make an impact this year. But you need and, more than you that. You need way more than that with Jalen Hall. You need eight almost. You need, yeah, you need seven or eight guys. With Jalen Hall, future kind of up in the air with 
Um, you know, with just Davis and Birch and, and Malik Lovett in camp, you know, that's, that's, you know, you got seven receivers plus two coming in. That's a total of nine receivers, and yet you're gonna, you have no room for error with missing on some of these true freshmen. Tucker went from a guy that you probably helped to redshirt and, and develop over the course now of the Now almost has years. to play. He's gonna almost play this year, so. Um, but David Davis stepping up and, and at least asserting himself for, you know, an hour in front of Oregon fans, you now feel like, okay, maybe they have five quality receivers that can do something. Still didn't see much from Dimitri Burt. I don't think he caught a pass. No. Um, but, but Davis is a guy that has got great speed. We knew that. He's put on about 20 pounds of weight, which is huge. Um, we saw on both touchdown passes him making a couple things that weren't just, hey, I'm a fast guy. I can run fast. I, he made a nice Couple move, of jukes. Nice move to beat Brady um, Breeze down the sideline for the touchdown on the second one. And the first one made a nice adjustment on the ball to, to come back and catch that. So if he's able to play at that level and say he's a guy that gets 25 catches this year, that's huge for this team because I think you're going to expect Justin Herbert to throw the ball a decent amount this year. Yeah. And if you're depending on three guys to be kind of the primary guys, not gonna yeah, you're going to be in trouble. I think for me – David Davis was your takeaway, your big guy that you were impressed with. For me, it was the versatility that Jalen Red could add to this offense. And we saw this the, the last couple games of the regular season last year when he was a true freshman that bleeded into the bowl game in, in Vegas. Uh, and then it carried out again in in the spring game. Uh, he, I think he, he was right around 40 yards receiving and right around 40 yards rushing uh, in, in the spring game. And I think he's he's one of those players where Dylan Mitchell right now is the starting slot. I kind of wonder if to get playmaking ability out there and, you know, to get your best athletes at receiver on the field at the same time, I kind of wonder if the staff's going to debate, do we put Dylan Mitchell back on the outside and pull off a schooler or pull off a Johnny Johnson and put Jalen Red into the slot because he can help you in the run game mm-hmm. and he can help you in the passing game, whether it be screens, you know, bubble routes, you know, short, short and intermediate passing games, and he's got the speed to be a deep threat as well. Uh, and then you, you pair that with Mitchell, who can do all three as well. Now you've got two really good dynamic receivers. The problem with that is Johnny Johnson and Brendan Schooler are probably two of your bigger wide receivers, yeah. and you need those guys on the outside to set up the screen game, possession-type receivers, to make those over-the-middle-type catches. So Oregon's got some questions that they're going to have to answer. And just adding to those questions was, I don't think Johnson or Schooler played very well on the scrimmage. And, and, and actually, we should say, the, the previous one in Portland, they both they were played really great. Good. Schooler had, like, three touchdowns. Johnson had probably 80 yards receiving. But um, on Saturday, they combined for, I think, three catches for, like, 35 yards. Right. Like, you're going to need more from those two guys. And I think the thing that was a little disconcerting was um, – was just how easily it looked like Thomas Graham and Diama de Lenore. Maybe that's good for the defensive back, which yeah. we'll probably get to in a minute. But from the receiver perspective, you kind of went, those are Pac-12, you know, top tier Pac-12 corners. When Oregon plays the other teams that have players of that caliber, are they going to have a difficult time creating separation and getting open? Because it certainly looked like, you know, again, this was a snapshot, a snippet of, of a lot more, you know, practice this spring, but it certainly kind of felt like, Boy, these guys are having a hard time kind of getting open and making plays. And with how much pressure is put on both of them now, that's a little disconcerting, I think. Kind of changing topics, staying in the same topic at the same time, though. Pistol offense uh, under Jim Mastro, the new running backs coach. You wrote a couple things on this throughout the spring. Um, I think this is a, a pretty big move for Oregon with Mastro now at Oregon and implementing the pistol, the pistol. Well, it was pretty subtle because I don't. We didn't speak with Mastro until I think about a week before yeah. the spring game, and up to that point, you know, in a, 
I hadn't really followed, you know, we don't watch enough of them actually run through their their offense, so we hadn't seen like, oh, hey, they're going to be in the pistol a lot, and Mastro comes out and says, yeah, we'll be in it the majority of the time. And so it was kind of, it went from being like, oh, they're going to, I know they'll probably do some, some, some pistol, pistol stuff, because Mastro helped create the pistol at Nevada, um, he did a little pistol at UCLA when he was there briefly, and up in Washington State when he was there with, with um, Coach Leach, so you know he... He probably is going to bring a little bit of it, but he said, no, we're going to be in it the majority of the time. And I was even skeptical of coming into the spring game, but, um, you know, Kevin and I kept track of the number of, of reps they ran out of, and it was about 70% in the first half were out of the pistol. So it looks like it's here, and it's for real. They're gonna, This is going to be almost their base offense. They'll probably still be out of the out of the gun kind of with an offset, you know, running back formation, you know, here and there. But this is kind of what they're doing, and I, I came away fairly impressed. I thought – Especially in run situations when you had CJ Verdell, you know, behind Herbert, whoever the quarterback was, and you give him a couple extra steps to get a, you know, pick up steam. By the time he hits the line of scrimmage, that guy's a bowling ball and he's really tough to bring down. You saw that on both touchdown runs, he was out of the pistol and he had probably uh, a 23 yard run according to the the stats here that came out of the pistol where he just got going and by the time he got to the second level, it was like, oh, he's gonna, he's gonna, you know, he's gonna be hard to bring down. So I think we saw some positive things there. I think it'll be, Interesting to see kind of the more wrinkles Cristobal said after the game that we didn't really show too much. Um, but, you know, that is one thing I think from the spring game that you can take away of. This offense is going to look a little different than it has in the past. I don't necessarily think the pistol is a huge deviation. I think a lot of people on the site I know were going, oh, we're going to be doing a lot of, you know, RPOs. Herbert's going to have the ball. He's right. going to be, you know, he's going to get hit a bunch. And it, Herbert himself came out and said before, before the spring game yeah. one time that there's basically nothing different from his perspective of what he has to do with the running well, And I'm looking here, I think he had one carry, and that was off of a rollout where no one was open. He just decided to run. I didn't. I think we maybe saw two design runs the whole day out of it. So I, I don't think, you know, that that's probably because when Nevada was running, that was Colin Kaepernick, and it was a lot of design quarterback running. I don't think that's something you have to worry about. But I do think it's going to provide a different look. It's going to do a couple different things. Mastro said one of the things it does is disguises kind of which way the run is going right. because when the running backs off to one side, it's a pretty clear indication if they're going to sweep, it's going to go in this way and, and vice versa. So the fact that he's just lined up directly behind him it gives him a little versatility of, hey, we're going to go this way or that way uh, on each rep. So I think that's another thing to kind of keep an eye out is kind of how this plays into what they do. One thing I like about the pistol is the fact that it can easily be tra- you know transitioned to uh, an RPO-type quarterback like we're going to have with Marcus Mariota. Yeah. Or a pro style quarterback that Oregon has currently with Justin Herbert. And don't get me wrong, you know, Herbert can run the football, but he's, he's not a Mariota or he's, he's not a Mazzoli, you know, a guy that can, you know, one of his best traits is his ability to create plays with his legs. And because of injury history, he probably doesn't you don't want, want it to that. Be. Yeah, yeah. You don't want that. And so, but that allows Oregon to, it doesn't pigeonhole them into a certain style of quarterback, uh, that they, have to recruit because they can tailor it pretty seamlessly to a pro style or to a, a guy that's a dual threat. And then one other note about the pistol before we move forward is, you know, Marcus Arroyo, Oregon's offensive coordinator, when his previous stop was at Oklahoma State, that's another school that uses the pistol a ton. So this isn't something new to him either. This is, you know, probably something he's probably more familiar with than what he was at, you know, doing with Oregon last season. 
uh, with, or, with, with the Ducks as the co-offensive coordinator. So I think it gives, you know, there's plenty of experience on this team. I know Alabama had the pistol when Crystal Ball was there as well. Oregon ran the pistol up, you know, under Chip Kelly. Yes. You know, not, not as a base offense, but there were, you know, look, you look back and you, you can find clips of Michael James running out of the pistol or, or Royce Freeman. Um, shifting one last topic of, of the team coverage of the actual spring game. Does your perspective at all change, you feel like, of Oregon's outlook next season? Because they do, they open three games against just nobodies. Mm-hmm. Bowling Green, Portland State, and San Jose State, all games at home. I, I think they won like a combined five games last year. Uh, uh those three teams yeah. did. You know, very easy schedule. Oregon should, should win those games by 50 in each. Um, and then, they open up Pac-12 play at home for the fourth game of the year with Stanford. Then they go on the road to California before coming back. Uh, and I, I believe it's Arizona State that they, that they have to play. Yeah. Um, and so the first six games of this schedule, I think there is a real possibility that this team opens up 6-0. and Does that change in, at all in your opinion of, of how this team is projecting next year for from the spring game? I, I would probably say that I'm a little wary about receiver, and we didn't get to it, but cornerback depth, which isn't great either. Those both those spots, you're kind of like you can line up your guys, and you don't have enough group behind them to, right. to, to set up a full two deep almost. Um, those positions make me a little uneasy because you're an injury or two away from having either a true freshman playing a ton or a guy who's a, a walk-on caliber playing a ton. I do think that the top end of what Oregon has is really good, though. I mean, the offensive line probably didn't get a chance to show it because. Jake Hansen was out. Calvin Throckmorton was banged up. He probably wasn't playing at 100%. They have a bunch of freshmen coming in that are going to make them even better. But I think that offensive line is going to be one of the best in program history. I think running back, they have so many different guys. C.J. Verdell's name we haven't even mentioned today. Yeah. And he was very really, good. really, really good in the spring game. Um, Herbert's a top-tier quarterback. And then defensively, I think the front seven is as good as it's been in a really long time at Oregon. And then you've got five guys at safety that have played a ton of football. So... I think that I think the potential is there for this team to be pretty, both a younger team but also a veteran team because a lot of these young guys have been kind of trial by fire and had to play a lot. So this could be I think this could be a group where they get that early momentum, they build some confidence, some of that experience takes over, and and yeah, and you look up and they're six and zero. I just think the schedule is so favorable that if Oregon loses more than three games, it's probably going to be looked at as a disappointment for yeah. Oregon fans because that would probably mean that they're like five and four in Pac-12 play, but. I, I don't see any reason why they can't win 9, 10, 11 games if things kind of play out the way they do. And, again, I think maybe my ceiling has gotten a little bit higher just because you do see some of the talent there, especially at running back, is I think a little better than we expected, and especially linebacker too. I think this team – I think my perspective has changed a little bit because going in I was expecting this is going to be a team that you know they're going to put up a lot of points. They're going to score a lot of points. doesn't matter you know who they're playing. You know they're gonna they're gonna win games forty two to you know twenty eight or, or something of that nature, mm-hmm. um, you know and and they're gonna have their games where it's gonna have to be a defensive battle, um, but I, I'm going away from that. I still think they're gonna win nine, ten games this coming season if you count the bowl game. I think nine's kind of the the safe number right now to pick. I, I you know they get Washington at home, they get Stanford at home, but they have to go to. You know they have to go to Utah in November, which is always difficult. They have to go to uh, Washington State, which I don't care how good the Cougars are or you know, who they lose from the previous season. Washington State's always difficult right. on the road. It, it just historically has been that same way for Cal. They have to go to Cal. 
this year. And that, you know, while it looks like it's a game that they should win, historically, Oregon has always struggled at, at that spot. And so I think three losses in the regular season is a, is a fair kind of barometer right there, um, seeing their schedule. But I think they're going to win in a fashion we're not really accustomed to seeing from an Oregon football team because I agree with you. This defense is going to be really, really good. And I think we're going to see a lot of fingerprints of what Cristobal learned and what Cristobal helped build at Alabama where they just grind teams away. And they, you know, the, Alabama gets those 28 to 7 or the 31 to 13 type victories. And it's, it's clearly obvious Alabama was in control the whole game, but the score doesn't indicate a blowout. I think those are going to be pretty common with Oregon this season. Yeah, I was gonna say those first three games you mentioned outside of those three by fifty, but maybe those are games where they win forty nine to three. Right in the past, it's been right. like they win seventy to twenty one or something. You know, where where they score a ton of points, where the team kind of has some success. If this defense is as good as they we think they are, and that this offensive line is able to control the line of scrimmage and just grind out the game, it could be that they're winning these games forty five to nothing, which would probably, from my perspective, be more impressive than scoring seventy points yes. against a really bad team in long twenty one because it just shows complete dominance. I and I think Oregon fans are gonna be are I won't be surprised in you know this this is maybe my hot take for the podcast. Hot takes, all right. I, I think Oregon's gonna be I think Oregon fans are, are there's gonna be some unrest and, and some disappointment and oh they're not scoring sixty points you know, like you said, against the San Jose State, what's wrong with this offense? It's, you know, not, it's not sophisticated enough. Where's the downfield threats and da 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 da? When in reality, you know, they just completely manhandle their opponent up front against a San Jose State or a Bowling Green. And, you know, they run the ball 65 times in a game and they only throw the ball 30. And, you know, they only complete 20 of those passes for 280 yards, something of that nature, and, and throw a couple touchdown passes. But they, you know, they just literally evap- the cop evaporates because yeah. they're able to extend these long drives. I think that's what this team's going to be like in 2018. I think that's Cristobal's goal, certainly. Shifting over to recruiting, it's a big re- weekend as well, like we said at the top of the podcast. Uh, Ducks went into the weekend with, with two verbal commitments and, uh, they left the weekend with four, three of them being high school prospects, and a couple of them are some of the best players to ever commit to this football program, and that would be Mace Funa, uh, a, a four-star linebacker out of Matter Day High School, 37th best player overall in the 24-7 sports composite, highest-rated linebacker to ever commit to the Oregon football program, uh, and he's also a top-10 commit uh, all-time for the Oregon football program as well, so... Oregon completely loaded up with Funa himself, but then it got better with a couple other guys that committed. Yeah, they added some versatility and a couple of guys that are four-star on 24-7's ranking and I think three-star on the yes. composite and Cameron Williams and Javon Wilson. Those are both guys that – Wilson is probably more of the true athlete. They're both li- listed as athletes, but Wilson could probably play a couple of different spots, whether it be on offense or defense. Um, Williams is, I think, going to be a safety. I think yeah. it's pretty clear. He's listed as an athlete because I think initially there was some interest in playing quarterback. Or receiver, maybe. Or receiver, maybe. But I think right now the sense is he's a safety all the way. So I think really nice additions. I think, you know, Williams and Wilson are probably a little underrated, honestly, having gone through their film. We have their film go review watch, on the Yeah, go watch the film review that Eric wrote on Cameron Williams. The fact that that guy is a composite three-star is yeah. criminal. Yeah. I mean, this is a this is like a Troy Dye type situation where Troy Dye was a three-star line safety coming out of high school out of Norco. And once he got on campus, you were like, whoa, this dude is not 
that's not a, that's not an under the radar recruit. Yeah, uh, Williams is going to be a guy like that. I get a sense of. And, um, Wilson, I'm, I'm intrigued to see. I think he could be a great running back. I think he could be a good safety. He could probably be a good linebacker. There's a couple of spots that he could play out at. So, uh, really, really nice additions. And we haven't even gotten to the to the grad transfer, who's really I think going to help them out at a spot we haven't touched talked about, but that needed probably another body. Yeah, uh, Cano Dylan. Grad transfer from uh, South Florida, ironically enough. There you go, the South Florida connection. <laughs> Guy played at Willie, with Willie Taggart for uh, three out of his four years with the Bulls, and then decided after this past season that he had enough of. Of I think he was kind of the second team tight end for the Bulls and wanted opportunity to play play more and have it, you know play a different style of an offense and came out for Oregon for an official visit this weekend. Uh, we actually walked past him as we were leaving the Mario Cristobal mm-hmm. press conference up into Austin Stadium. And I'll tell you what, he is by far going to be the biggest skill guy Oregon has had, uh, <laughs> in the last few years. He yeah. will remind, he will remind you of Jason Williams, uh, receiver who was, you know, mid 2000s for Oregon. This guy is six foot five, 265, 270 pounds. Uh, and he, he says he can, he can help play in the slot, and he can play in at, at tight end. I was going to say, we talked about the wide receiver issues. While this isn't a direct addition to that group, I think this allows them to possibly play two tight end more, where they could even have Jacob Breland outside, right. which we saw a little bit last year. We could have Dylan outside, um, at you know, playing either in the slot or out wide. Um, just adds a couple more kind of wrinkles to what they can do, because as things stood, you know, if, if they didn't take a Dylan, they would have had two scholarship tight ends returning in, in Breland. And McCormick, and then they'd add uh, Spencer Webb, who I think I'm very high on still yes. as a prep uh, tight end coming in. I think this summer. allows them to redshirt probably Spencer Webb if if, if they want to. If and they I want to, play him too. if they want to. Yeah, yeah I, I think this gives them kind of some protection. Yeah, of you know, I think the idea is the Webb comes in and plays right away as a true freshman. But if he's not ready, or if he gets a fall camp injury that sets him back a little bit, and it's just not worth wasting a year. I think this gives them a little bit of, of some protection if, in case it does play out where he, he's not ready to play right away. And they, they've got that big body tight end uh, on, on roster as well. Because and I like grad transfers because they don't impact recruiting at all. Mm-mm. Because the guys, that, that when they typically get added, Oregon has already signed the previous class. So it's not going to hurt the incoming guys. And then th- by the time... The 2019 class comes like a Patrick Herbert. Yeah, this guy's already out of the program. Yeah, well, and, and I think it looks like Coach Cristobal likes this as well because that we've seen them now target three guys. They've they've now got Hines, Tim Hughes, mm-hmm. and now, or Tim Huff, yeah. and and now Dylan. Uh, Dylan. So yeah, so clearly they're into it, and those are all positions of, of of need. Hines is a slot receiver from Wake Forest. He just visited USC. He'd be a huge addition for Oregon. We talked about the issues at receiver, and then corner is another position they need help with. Um, Huff comes out of UNLV where he was a two-year starter and last year was kind of their nickel guy. But either way, just, just this addition of veteran players at positions of need, um, again, they don't take it any, you know, there's no long-term turnover with them. You don't have to worry about them filling the roster and not playing later on. So, yeah, nice addition here and I think adds a little bit of maybe versatility for them depending on how they want to approach things this fall. Going into the weekend, Oregon's recruiting class was a two-man class for 2019 and was ranked 47th in the country. Uh, as of Tuesday afternoon, we're recording this at 2.15 in the afternoon. Uh, Oregon has the 25th best recruiting class. They're second in the Pac-12 to, I believe, Washington, uh, who has the top class overall mm-hmm. in the Pac-12. 
Um, and this number could get better, and it wouldn't surprise me if in a week Oregon has that top class in the country because you know we're expecting some good news from four-star Jeffrey Jeffrey Carter, a guy that says he's going to have some some news that he's going to announce on Wednesday. Uh, not quite sure yet definitively what that is. We've got an idea, and we posted that on the site. Uh, but then you've also got some situations where a Darian Chase or uh, Sean Dollars or you, you go down the list, uh, Jorquez Sorrells, you know, all these guys were on campus and walked away very impressed with the football program. Can Oregon make, you know, the momentum carry over into the week and land one or two more commitments? Can I put you on the spot here? This is not on our rundown. And yes, we do have a rundown. We're professionals. <laughs> oh, we use that word lightly. <laughs> What, what's the ceiling? We talked about the ceiling for the program this fall. What's, what's your ceiling for this class? Like, how high can they be ranked? We know it's going to probably be a smaller class. Right. They're not going to take 30 guys. I, I think anyone that's that's right now is saying that they're going to have a chance of getting a top five class is being way too optimistic. Uh, I think those expectations are, are through the roof um, and, and unfair for two reasons. One, they're not heavily involved with enough five stars to True. to get there. Uh, and then B, they're just not going to sign enough guys to get to that. I, I think the recruiting class right now is going to shake out somewhere around 20, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit b- below that, maybe, you know, a little bit above that. And it's like 18 to 21. Yeah. It's, and it's not going to get bigger unless there's a max ex- exodus of guys that leave the program between now and signing day. Um, and then I, I don't, I think there will be a couple, but I don't, I don't see it, you know, being waves of guys leaving the program. So I think that's, you know, top five is probably out of the out of the question, but can they get a top ten class? Absolutely, I, I think that's certainly possible. You know, there's there's enough guys on the board that Oregon has, you know, their irons in with that, you know, they come their way the right way. They 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 get to that twenty one, maybe get to twenty two, and most of those guys are, are four star caliber prospects, which a lot of players are right now. They're highly interested in Oregon. Yeah, they, they could finish with a top 10 class. And I think one thing, one last note here is that based on rankings currently, Oregon has two four-star commitments, I think, in the composite, both are from Matter Day and yes. Deion Way Hudson. We should do a podcast on that just alone we down should. the road. Yeah, but but yeah, and then Funa, those are the two four-stars. The other three guys we, we really think could end up being four-star Chumps. caliber players yeah. because we haven't mentioned Marquez Caldwell, who was their first commit and was their loan commit for a really long time, corner out of Texas, but... He's a four-star caliber player probably as well. He might be yep. the, the furthest away from there right now. But the other two we mentioned earlier, I think those Very, are, very close. I think Wilson and Williams are both certainly could be four-star. And 24-7 sports in their own rankings has both of those as four-star players kind of right in that fringe level. But uh, this is this is already a five-man class, and Oregon is adding really good players at positions of need. And I think this weekend was really kind of helped establish kind of a base of that. That's going to do it for us. Uh, we'll do another podcast next week. Uh, probably talking some more recruiting uh, and also some more stuff for football as well. And uh, who knows? We might have some basketball news. Maybe that's a little tease uh, that, that we'll talk about next week. So until we talk to you then, thanks for listening. And you can catch us on DuckTerritory.com. Uh, try our seven-day free trial. Or if you're listening to us on the Internet and, and on this podcast, we are on iTunes. You just have to search for the Duck Territory podcast. So for Eric Scopel and myself, uh, we will talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. Adios, amigos.